Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan, and we've got a jam-packed show for you. And uh, due to technical difficulties, we're not sure exactly how long the show is going to be, so we're going to get right to it. Let's introduce the guys. He is applying to be Jamal Adams' personal assistant. Jacob Allen is with us. How are you, man? I'll work on a cheap salary. Uh, 50000 a year. Jamal, call me. He will never shave his beard to avoid the Travis Kelsey backlash. Sam Blecka is with us. How are you, bud? Yeah, it's the uh, curse of the baby face. Um, I know it well, and uh, don't ever want to have to deal with that again. I'm Sean Deegan, and I just appreciate knowing that Tim Tebow and I would have the same rating for blocking in Madden 2022. Let's get to the topics, because we had actual football to talk about the Chiefs did win their first preseason game, 19-16. to 16. I know that's the part we were all most concerned about. So let's just go ahead and give our initial thoughts on what we saw, and we'll dive into some more specifics. Um, Sam, I'll come to you here first. Obviously, I don't think any of us watched the whole thing through, um, but give us your thoughts on what you saw and, and how you felt about the Chiefs when it was all said and done. Yeah, again, preseason's a hard kind of thing to judge in general. The main takeaway I, I got from it is it, it the limited time we saw our starters or even the kind of second string guys, it really seemed like everything was flowing well through the offense and defense. So it seemed like a, a, a game plan running really well. Everyone's kind of on the same page. Um, so I was it was a overall positive experience. The win doesn't matter whatsoever. I was purely looking at kind of primarily the first quarter. Jacob, what about you? What were your impressions from the Chiefs' first preseason game? Well, we're only three minutes in, so I have to disagree with Sam and say it totally matters that they won. Everyone will remember these these wins. These are the ones that count, I think. Uh, I My actual initial thought was maybe I should have watched more than the first half because think about a lot of the storylines that could have been followed as far as, you know, the young guys like Noah Gray or Josh Kando, even Cornell Powell as well. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I probably should have watched the second half being a person that does these podcasts where I'm supposed to be watching people. I, I thought it was a, a well-orchestrated event by Andy Reid. I thought the starters played exactly as long as they needed to and the initial go of things and – I appreciate they left the offensive line a little bit longer. And then we got to see an awful lot of guys who either hurt last year or rookies who were trying to make an impression uh, on the team because for this coming season, I thought it was handled really well as far as who got reps where. So those are my basic thoughts on the game. I did watch the, a little more than the first half did get into the third quarter before I, I tapped out, but those are my initial thoughts on it. Now, one of the key things to this, and you both have kind of, we've all talked about a couple of times now leading up to this game, not overreacting to anything, not wanting to, to give too much credence to any one thing. But I do want to start with the offensive line who played a collective 11 snaps, the starting unit, I mean. And again, I don't want to overreact. I don't want to, to, to blow the roof off with over-exuberance, but I did see what could have been described as a pocket at times for Patrick Mahomes. And much like women with dresses, a pocket has been what Patrick Mahomes has been searching for since 2020 when Osimile went down. So to see them actually, even in limited time with Patrick Mahomes and Chad Haney protect was really exciting for me. Again, not against the best that the 49ers had to offer, but 
to see and even in the early stages them come together and do what they were supposed to do was fun. Sam, I want to come back to you first here. Offensive line, you know, plays 11 snaps. It's not a lot of time, but what were your thought, overall thoughts on their performance? Oh, I thought, I thought they played really well. Again, it, I felt that they looked like a pretty cohesive unit for being a set that came together within the past couple months. It seemed like, uh, I don't, I doubt they got too in depth with the blocking schemes and things like that, but they all seemed like they were on the same page. I was really impressed with our young guys. I only really saw again, 11 plays isn't a lot. Um, I saw one of 11, I think, uh, Trey Smith got kind of beat by the defensive tackle on draw play. But other than that, I thought both him and Lucas Niang played really well. Humphreys, I didn't stand out to me, but, uh, I don't expect him to a whole lot. And then I did, I, I was a little surprised Orlando Brown got beat a couple or not fully beat, but didn't seem to be the presence I was hoping for against like speed rushers and things of that nature. But again, there wasn't a sack in the, of the guys that we really care about. So overall a positive. Jay, what about you? When you got to see the, when you was all said and done, what did you think of the offensive lines performance, the starters at least? For having three rookies, it didn't seem like they had three rookies. You would have expected more issues. So I was pleasantly surprised. And then, of course, the first couple of runs were fun to watch. You know, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I think it was his very first carry, ran 10 yards before somebody touched him. It was a welcome sight to see. So I'm very excited about the offensive line. I think the part about the run game that excited me most is that it wasn't even a a traditional zone read. Like, they ran a a power play, like a power counter play. And – Trey Smith leading the way on a pull from the right guard position and being able to get up to the second level. Like that was, that was exciting to see from the offensive line. Uh, I agree, Sam, that I think Orlando Brown Jr. is going to take a little seasoning in this offense. You know, most of what he's done prior to coming to the Chiefs has been to get up field, you know, maul somebody up front and, and allow openings for the run game. He hasn't had to do a whole lot of, uh, pass sets or vertical sets. I've been, I've been watching a lot of Mitchell sports on Twitter guys. So the terminology is going to sound a lot better than what I actually understand, but a lot more vertical sets and trying to pr- protect in pass play and pass protection versus trying to get up field or maul somebody at the point of attack the way he might've done in Baltimore. So I do think that might take a little bit longer before we really see him acclimate to this offense than maybe I initially thought, but overall even when he did get, because to your point, I think I remember the play you're talking about, even when he did get beat, he did a decent enough job of carrying the end to where Patrick could step up in the pocket. And I think that's the part I was most excited is that Patrick could step up in the pocket, knowing that the three interior offensive linemen were able to create that. I think the biggest difference for him isn't as much the offense. I think he's going to have to get used to not having Lamar Jackson back there. He's not going to have the guy that just takes off and runs when things start to break down. He has guy, he has Patrick Mahomes who wants to work guys open. And so that might take a second to get used to. But again, even like you said, even when he did get not again, not necessarily beat, but the speed rusher definitely got around the outside. He did a good job of kind of effort efforting him away from the quarterback and, and keeping him clean at least. I, I want to chime in real quick on that one, too. It, it is going to be interesting to see the adjustments because we all know that Mahomes loved to drift throughout the year. Clearly, Orlando Brown's technique is 
the technique guys use against him is to try to get around him because I think he's proven that you can't get inside him because he's so big. So you guys are right in that it's going to be a different playing style. So that'll be fun to watch just the adjustment that Patrick Mahomes has to make with having a left tackle that people want to run around and try to run instead of trying to run through because that's what guys would try to do to Eric Fisher is run him over. And that's just not going to happen with Orlando Brown. Now, one of the things that I do think would help counter that is is kind of what we saw initially from the Chiefs. You know, Patrick Mahomes only threw, what, two passes, one of two for four yards, and they ran the rest of the time that he was in and, frankly, looked pretty good doing it, for again, for an offensive line that this is their first live action together uh, in actual what you could describe as gameplay versus just practice. Uh, I thought they looked very good. And all things, when you factor in all those different things, how much do you think will, we talked a little bit about this, I'll, I'll back up. We talked a little bit about this in you know, off season stuff, but having seen what they're planning on trying to do uh, offensively with the run game and getting an idea of, okay, maybe this is a, an early trigger of what they're capable of. How do you guys feel about maybe seeing more run with this team? Do you think we'll see a definitive shift where, again, they're always going to throw because it's an Andy Reid offense, but a shift where we might see more power offense from the Chiefs with this line. Um, Jacob, I'll come to you here first on this one. Sam, I'll come to you here first on this one. How do you feel about maybe seeing a more power-based run offense um, to to allow for maybe more protection for Patrick Mahomes because people can't just pin their ears back and come get him? Yeah, I don't. I don't expect to see a shift necessarily it's the ability to do it that is more important to me to me than anything it's it's knowing that it is in the back pocket and hey if, if maybe you're going up against a team say Cleveland who who does have a very stout pass rush if we need to switch up into the run we know that we can and that's going to be a strength and the fact that it's not zone read running that we typically see where it's kind of allowing guys to try to find a hole. It's just straight up. We're going to beat you at the front and let our guys do work. And honestly, a piece that I don't think we're really going to cover. I don't think we're getting into too much of the, where we excited about certain guys. Um, but Derek McKinnon, I really liked what I saw out of him. I think he's going to be a great change of pace back for Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And that's a great, combo I think I, I feel could be a very good combo for that potential switch to a rushing attack when it's necessary but I mean you again you don't pay a quarterback half a bi- uh, half a billion dollars to pass the ball or to hand the ball off to your running backs I, I'm sorry but it's just a nice thing to have in your back pocket for sure Jacob what about you the, the style of running or at least just like Sam said being able to do it how much do you think that could allow for more protection from Mahomes because even he said it, there are times where he felt like he maybe should have given the ball more to Clyde Edwards Lair on the read option. And now it seems like they might actually be willing to do that. Yeah. Sam nailed it. The threat of running is what they needed because we've talked extensively for the last year about being frustrated about teams just sitting back in the box. And one of the biggest, not necessarily a turning point of the game, but almost a, turning point in Chiefs ability happened during the preseason game of the Chiefs got in the red zone and we're still running the ball. It was a welcome sight to see them just push team the push the 49ers back. Now again it's it's one game so we're not supposed to overreact, but 
I definitely overreacted when I saw what they were doing in the red zone, getting ex- and I was getting excited about what they were doing. Yeah, on third and one, fourth and one, you even or even on just on the goal line over the last couple of years in the Eric Fisher, Mitchell Schwartz reign, and really just the time with Andy Reid, there hasn't been a whole lot of I'm going to blow you off the line of scrimmage and pick up at least one yard to get a first down or just or get into the end zone. It's I'm going to run a zone read option or we're going to we're going to run a draw play if they ran at all. Otherwise, it was spread everybody out and try to run your your end arounds or quarterback keepers, whatever the case might be. It, it is it is exciting to know that they have this in their back pocket. And I agree, Sam. I think the threat the different threats that these running backs present is also exciting because I do agree. Jarek McKinnon, after watching him play this, this time, it looks like he's fully healthy and I get why maybe back in his prime Minnesota thought, okay, well, we won't, it sucks that Adrian Peterson's out, but this guy can hold the fort down until he gets back. Knowing that that's your third running back on the roster is an, is an exciting thought. So all that combined and just having those different threats and guys who can, actually blow defenses off the ball enough to get a first down and keep the chains moving is an exciting change of pace that I don't think we've seen in a whole while and does take a lot of pressure off Patrick Mahomes. Moving to the other side of the ball, because I think this was one of the things we talked about uh, the last couple of weeks as being maybe the most interesting battle as far as camp goes in preseason and practices, and that was the secondary. Because you do have basically three defense, three cornerbacks fighting for one spot in like nickel. And then obviously if you go to a dime, there might be more opportunities there, but even so Steve Spagnuolo likes to play a lot of safety. So whoever gets that cornerback spot, that third cornerback spot, you have to think it's going to see an awful lot more time than the other defensive backs who would play corner rather than safety. We saw, I think some very good play out of, all three of the guys that we thought might be up for this spot with Rashad Fenton, DeAndre Baker, and Mike Hughes. P- uh, PFF actually put out a stat that DeAndre Baker throughout the game was targeted six times and did not allow a completion. All three of these guys, I thought, looked very good. Do you want to get your thoughts? Um, Jacob, I'll come back to you here first on this one. What, what jumped out at you who, about those three guys? What, did any one of those guys separate himself? I thought you said it well. I mean, they – they all, to me, played pretty similarly. I think DeAndre Baker was the one that stood out of those three. I thought he did a nice job sticking with guys. He didn't necessarily – he wasn't necessarily in their hip pocket the whole time. There's a guy on Twitter right now, Eddie High, that has been posting all of the best video content lately. And we we'll follow him now. <clears throat> Perfect. We uh, – the, the true t- key test will be if we ever get a follow back. <laughs> but then we'll know we'll have made it. But he posted all the Baker ones. And, you know, Baker wasn't doing anything that was overly shocking or awesome, you know, getting in front of the ball and knocking it down. But I think he was just close enough to receivers to make him nervous and drop the ball, essentially, is what he was doing on the clips I saw. And then Mike Hughes seemed like a guy that's played in the NFL. And Rashad Fenton, I mean, he, he seemed a little rusty, but it didn't worry me because we know what he can be for the team. I we don't have much secondary later on down the line, but the thing that does still worry me is the middle of the field. After Tyron Matthew, the other safety scares me. Dan Sorensen, I thought, looked like he's 49 years old, just like his jersey number. 
And then the linebackers in there were less than inspiring covering guys. And then on top of that, just another side note about coverage, some of the linebackers after the first three guys, I was like, I have literally never heard of this guy. Sam, what about you? Uh, starting, you can address all of what James said because he did bring up uh, some good points. But who separated themselves out of Hughes, Baker, and Fenton to you, or if anyone? And this is where the preseason gets hard for me because by the time DeAndre Baker got in, he's playing against very pretty low caliber guys for the most part. But for me, I, I thought Fenton – or not Fenton, excuse me. Mike Hughes stood out quite a bit. And the reason for that is I felt – he looked very similar to Brashard Breeland in the way he plays. And we know Brashard Breeland fit well. That that type of player, as far as a bigger, instinctual cornerback, good at filling in on the run, because that was the thing that impressed me about him, is he, he seems to like to come up and, and be active in, run, in the run defense as well. DeAndre Baker, I felt, when I first started watching him, it seemed like he was a little hesitant with the leg. It didn't seem like he was – I mean – it's hard because we didn't really get to see him last year. So it's hard to say what, what his full speed fully looks like. Cause I didn't watch him with the giants, obviously, but um, it, it did look like he sped up throughout the, the remaining part of the game. And that's hard to tell whether that is him getting more comfortable with his leg or the, the injury or the players that he started playing against are worse. But I will say the one thing you can notice about uh, Hughes and, and Baker they're both very instinctual players, I feel like. We saw Baker about get a pick coming off of, kind of coming out of his his coverage to take that uh, corner out away. So it just shows that they are very instinctual players. And I think they both did a lot for their own stock to move up. I didn't watch uh, Rashad Fenton as much um, just because I really was concentrated on those two guys because I, I do have a lot of hope for them. Um, but I, I think Mike Hughes for me was the one that stood out just because he looked like Brashard Breeland, honestly, to me. Um, he, he really filled that role well, I feel like. Yeah, I think the big thing for me is that, at least for Mike Hughes and DeAndre Baker, they both looked healthy. And that was a big deal to me. It's like, do they look like guys who are free from the injury, that are, are moving at least a decent pace? Obviously, you know, like you said, there might be some hesitancy with DeAndre Baker, similar to kind of how we saw last year with Juan Thornhill initially. When he first came back, it was like, okay, he's clearly not running at a hundred percent clip. And but all those guys look good. I actually thought Rashad Fenton looked really good too, not to leave him out. He did almost have the pick as well over the middle, um, crashing down on a tight end. And he, I just, I, I think that watching these three guys and knowing that you have your option amongst the three, it did make me feel a lot better knowing that, okay, they're healthy. They all kind of know what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. Nobody really went out there and tried to do too much, which I thought could have been a really big, a big tempting thing, especially for guys like Hughes and Baker who have been hurt a lot and not really had the opportunity, wanting to make a big impression with a new team. They seem to stick to their roles within the, within the defense. And it made me feel a lot better about not going out and getting a Xavion Howard or, or any of the free agents that might've been available or, uh, Anything like that. Like, it, it made me feel good. It's like, okay, well, Steven Nelson went to Philly. Okay, but we have these three guys that are all really – could end up being really solid guys that seem to fit well. Um, the other thing I liked about Mike Hughes is I thought he looked really good in the return game, which is not something I expected to see. Nope, that was going to be another big point. Like, 
even if he's not the starting cornerback, or the fact that he runs straight instead of backwards is a mind-blowing experience for me as a seeing a new returner back there. One cut and up, man. One cut and up. I loved it. It was great. Like he looked similar style to how Byron Pringle returns, which is that I'm going to find a hole and I'm just going to go and that's it. And, and I think that could bring a lot of, at least a lot of consistency to that return game, which I thought was maybe more boom or bust there for a while. So we'll see how that kind of all comes down. I do want to kind of jump a little bit here because uh, one of the things Jacob brought up that is something that concerns me as well is, is the safety play. And I, I don't know if I saw necessarily to the degree that would concern me about that the way that Jacob did, but it did seem like it's going to be kind of like it was last year where it's Tyron Matthew and a bunch of other dudes. Devin Key, I thought after he got burned initially uh, by Trey Lance, I thought he kind of settled in. Obviously, you know, an undrafted rookie, it's going to happen. Like, But I thought he settled in as the game went on. But I feel like there's this in-house fix that they have and and they haven't really utilized him much with with the first team and that's carried on into practice even this week if you've been following on twitter we're recording this on tuesday august 17th so maybe things will change by thursday when this drops but Juan thornhill's not getting a ton of run with the ones and i feel like if Juan thornhill's healthy he's an easy fix to your safety problem because he can take away so much over the top but he really hasn't seen much time in that starting role. Sam, we'll swing it back to you here. At what point do we need to be concerned about Juan Thornhill as, as somebody who is maybe not what we, what we thought he was, or at least they're not going to use him the way we thought they would. Now I was not very impressed with him in this game, to be completely honest. I thought his first couple series, he played okay, but there were times he kind of looked lost in coverage and didn't look like what I remember him, let's say not even last year, the year before, as far as the athletic ability to maybe make up for his misses in coverage, kind of like we talked about with Willie Gay last year. He didn't seem, I, I, I just wasn't super impressed with what I saw of him yesterday. And again, it's hard to know exactly what, what's going on with that, whether it's, it was strange. They really had him playing, at times a lot more almost the strong safety position where because key was playing over the top a lot even when he was in so it, it's a strange situation with him right now I don't I don't really know what's going on but yeah I wasn't I wasn't too terribly impressed with him this game to be honest I wa- I just watched it today so again recorded on Tuesday so I'm quite a bit behind and I I just wasn't I don't know I, he just didn't stand out to me as as a guy that should be running with the ones as we, we would hope. And I'm even, I'm even taking out the play where he fell down. Cause I mean, those, uh, those kinds of things, like I don't want to overreact to them. They're not going to happen all the time. It was just, it was a one moment, but I, it's just one of those things where it's like, I know what he can do. Why, why are we not there yet? Jacob, what about you? You were the one who kind of elicited the safety talk. Juan Thornhill's not getting run with the ones, and you've already mentioned that the rest of the safeties don't really have you all that excited. When are you concerned about Juan Thornhill? Dan Sorensen didn't make a big play yet, so I, I can't justify letting him keep playing, so I'm still in worrying mode at this point. 
I was just explaining to a coworker today what Dan Sorensen was. He's a Broncos fan, you know, being in Denver. I was like, he doesn't really cover anybody that well, but then he makes a huge play in the game. And then you're like, oh yeah, that's right. He, he's a game changer. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Juan Thornhill's obviously been on my I'm terrified watch for a while now. And with the Jamal Adams news today, it, it, it makes you wonder just how much they're going to pay Tyron Matthew because he's the one that, you know, continues to show he's consistent. Here's, here's the part that really started to worry me because initially I was like, okay, well, they're running one Thornhill a lot with twos and threes. He's getting a lot of reps in, which is good. That's fine. But the part that made me really uncomfortable was uh, today at practice, I saw this tweet from several beat reporters. Matt Derrick with Kansas State Sports Network, Nate Taylor of The Athletic, um, Adam Teicher at ESPN, um, Sam McDowell of KSC Star, Armani Watts had more run with the ones than Juan Thornhill did. And Armani Watts is one that I think we've all thought was maybe on the chopping block this season, like for a, a preseason cut. So, and the fact that you have now Armani Watts and an undrafted rookie in Devin Keene Moving into that free safety role, that's that's really concerning to me. So I am officially of the concerned mindset when it comes to Juan Thornhill, which makes me sad because I thought he really was going to be a complete game changer, to borrow a phrase from Jacob, and just eliminate be, – be an Earl Thomas type where you eliminate the over-the-top stuff. It's like I dare you to throw it deep. Cause I'm going to be there. That's what I thought he was going to be. And so far, ever since that injury, it doesn't seem like the chief's coaching staff really has that much faith that he's going to be that guy again. Next thing we wanted to cover from the preseason game, defensive line, because I think this, while the, the cornerbacks had the biggest position battle, maybe had the most interest in that regard. I think, the thing we were all most in, most maybe excited to see is how does Jaron Reed look? How does Chris Jones look at defensive end? How are they going to start you know moving these guys in and out where they talk about guys like Tershaw Wharton, Mike Dana, Chris Jones, all playing inside and outside? Uh, what is this? What does this defensive line actually look like when they're all on the field together? And again, they didn't have Trent Williams out there, but. Man, they the defensive line, I thought, for me, looked really good. And to your point, Sam, that you brought up weeks ago, or maybe even months ago at this point, about Jaron Reed may, maybe being the most under-discussed person that the Chiefs acquired by the national media, Chris Jones had a sack in this game where Jaron Reed was double-teamed, and Chris Jones had one-on-one. Real quick, Sean. What position was Chris Jones playing there? Uh, he was playing defensive tackle on the left side. Yeah, defensive tackle. <laughs> defensive tackle position. Uh, it seems like it yeah. works out. So I do want to get your, your thoughts. Sam, I'll let you go ahead here first. Uh, you know, uh, maybe I mean, the question originally was phrased that we had written down about how Chris Jones is at defensive end, but his sack did come from defensive tackle with Jaron Reed getting double teamed opposite him. So give us your thoughts. Yeah, I, I – in all reality, I thought the defensive line looked really good. Um, both the starters and a lot of the guys that came in after with Jaron Reed, I think it's just going to be, again, kind of the secret weapon of that defensive line where now you still get the pass rush when you do have Chris Jones out there. And I, I thought Chris Jones did a really good job. I mean, when they had him in 
against run on running downs, that that's a really stout defensive line. And I thought Mike Dana played well on the other end, which we don't know exactly what that other end situation is going to be with Frank Clark right now. But no, I, I was I was impressed with with how the defensive line played, regardless of where people were. I still think Chris Jones showed why he is the second highest paid defensive tackle in the league because the two major pressures, one a sack, and then the second one, a quarterback hit that he got were both from the defensive tackle position. So I think it shows why his skill set is so suited for that. But, it, I mean, again, he's going to be do well wherever he plays. He's just that good of a player. But all the defensive linemen I thought played well. Colin Saunders really impressed me as well. I thought he had a good game. Um, but it, it, overall, the depth is is incredibly solid on that on that position. Hey, what about you? Give us your initial impressions from the defensive front and how they performed and maybe how you thought Chris Jones performed when he was out of end. I think a lot of those veterans need to be watching their backs. I think I think those young guys put a lot of pressure on guys like Alex Okafor, Taco Charlton, and even Frank Clark a little bit to be like, Frank, you're going to really have to have a good season to have the team keep you next year. I'm with you guys on Colin Saunders. I thought he showed a lot of stuff that made him promising as a rookie, but again now. So I think, you know, he kind of saw the pressure on him of, hey, I – didn't have a great year last year, so I need to step up my game. I thought Mike Dana is another one that continues to get better as a player. His pass rush sets actually excited me a little bit as it, in contrarian, contrarian to his last year rushing the passer. I thought, you know, he said an edge sometimes was in the right place to get sacks. I thought I actually saw him making some pretty nice moves this year, you know, kind of bending around the tackle, which was something I don't know if I can speak for all of us, but when they drafted him, we're like, why did they draft this unathletic guy who never sacked the quarterback? And now he just seems like a guy that's a worker. Almost, I'm going to use the name Tom Bahali of just the guy, you know, just kept working at his craft and getting better and better. And that's what I've seen from Mike Dana. So that's been encouraging. And then, I've always loved her, Sean Wharton, so yeah, just more good from an undrafted rookie. I think that's the thing that made me the most excited was just the sheer amount of depth, like the guys that just kept coming in one after the other after the other. And, and granted, did in some cases, guys like Colin Saunders, Tim Ward, Tershawn Wharton, in some cases are playing against second and third teamers, but they were undrafted. And they're coming out and they're just smoking these other guys. You know, Tim Ward, you know, in the towards the end of the game has a great get off against the left tackle, just explodes right by him, goes great bend around the outside for what we, you know, maybe expected to see from him and makes a sack. I agree that Mike Dana looked a lot better. I don't, I don't, maybe I was just looking for something else, but I thought he had a little extra giddy up in his step this this preseason game he looks a little more explosive than he did last year where we were all talking about like Mike Dana is a great run defender for for where he was drafted he's going to be a high motor guy but man if he gets into a foot race it's a problem and this time it was like it's probably still going to be a problem if it's a dead foot race but his he did look to have a little more explosivity around the end which excited me Chris Jones I agree Sam is going to look good anywhere I think the part of that about Jones that excited me most was just the guy next to him. And I've already mentioned is Jaron Reed, like seeing 
as immediate an impact from Jaron Reed without Jaron Reed recording a sack or a stat, even before like he did anything, seeing how big of an impact it was, it's like, no, we have to double this guy and we'll hope that Chris Jones isn't Chris Jones for one play and immediately paying for it. And I think that's the thing that excites me the most about this line and why I feel good about wherever they put Jones, he's going to get opportunities now because you do have him. And it was one of those things like it's, we kind of expected to be a benefit, but to see it's just so quickly out the gate and, and see just how definitive it was to have him next to Jones to draw a double team next to arguably the best, the second best defensive, well, not just the second best defensive tackle, but one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL. I, I couldn't say enough good things about him, which is why I'm, I'm really okay with wherever they put Chris Jones. Cause I think wherever they put Chris Jones, he's going to get opportunities because of Jaron Reed next to him. Make it too early to call after one preseason game. Who are they going to let go? Who like what? On the defensive line or just defensive line, yeah. Got I it. think they're going to keep ten. Oh, okay. I th- I really I do. Makes sense. But even so, I still think that might leave because you're talking about seven guys with Jones, Jaron Reed, Nadi, Tershawn Wharton, Colin Saunders, Mike Dana. They're not going to cut Joshua Kane though. So you're talking about eight are, guys are right there. Not, I think they're. It's going to be interesting. I think. I mean, Seren Petro brought it up on the radio. And initially, I was like, "No, you're you're wrong about cutting any sort of draft picks." But after you started going through the roster, I was like, "I could actually, I guess, I can kind of see, you know, some guys being in danger." He was talking specifically about Cornell Powell, which that would be a stunner if they did cut him. I think that maybe is a little far fetched. But after you start through the rosters, you're like, "There's the possibility." I would I would bet they'd cut Taco Charlton. And or Alex Ogafor before they cut Kando. I think the athletic upside of Kando is is so great that if that I think that they would want to hang on to him. I think if they thought they could sneak like a Cornell Power or Joshua Kando onto the practice squad, maybe you see that, but I don't know that you could do that. But I think I do think Taco Charlton, because the first kind of wave of cuts, Chiefs had to get down to 85 today. And Antonio Callaway was on that list of first cuts and it was, and they list him as just, you know, injury. Uh, That's the reason that they waived him. So if you're taco Charlton and he even said in like a presser a couple, like maybe last week, it's like the ankle has its good days and it has its bad days. If I'm taco Charlton, I'm, I'm a little nervous because I'm on a one year deal. It's basically not guaranteed. And all of these young guys on really cheap deals just showed out. I, I talked, I don't know, two weeks ago, or I think that was when we asked the question about the preseason. I'm just like, everything's predetermined and there's no excitement. I'm starting to get excited about like, okay, which of these guys do you actually keep? Because the typical thing is to try to hide the youth on your practice squad, like you said, but I think there's just a couple guys that are, you know, have been kind of exciting. I Tim Ward is one I didn't mention, but it will be interesting to see if they move him up in the next game of, you know, you're not playing the third wave of guys, you're going to play in the second wave because we want to see what you've got. I think the health will dictate, even if they don't cut guys, like Alex Okafor could easily end up on IR if he's not healthy. Frank Clark for sure would end up on IR if he's not healthy. And again, he was he's getting an MRI, which I'm sure we'll probably have some more news about uh, before this podcast drops. 
So this might be a little behind by the time that gets out here, but he's getting an MRI on his hamstring. There's an opening right there. So it'll be interesting to see who ends up staying, who ends up going. I think it, one of the big ones is it kind of depends on where they classify guys. If Mike Dana is purely a defensive end this year, it, well, let's say if he doesn't play purely play defensive end, if he's playing defensive tackle, I actually think guys like Colin Saunders could potentially be because I think the defensive tackle is where we're set. That's a, that's a position that we look at and we're like, yeah, we're, we're pretty good there. I think it's the defensive end that they'd probably want to try to keep more guys because they want to try to get the best production out of them as possible. So I, I could definitely see, I mean, I don't want to see him go because I think, I think he does have a lot of upside, but a guy like Colin Saunders, if he doesn't really play well in these next couple of games, could be a guy that is a trade trade bait a little bit potentially, or, or a guy that might not make it the full squad. And that would make me sad because I really liked what I saw out of him, but I, I absolutely could see that happening. Um, he definitely looks way more explosive than he did all of last year coming off of injury and whatnot. So hopefully my, my ideal world is they keep 10 because I think that feeds right into Spagnola's uh, rotation preferences where he's like, let's just get fresh bodies and these different combinations of guys that can all do kind of different things and see what happens. And I think that would fit him really, really well and allow you to keep a lot of really good talent on the team, especially for next off season, which could lead to some difficult questions with guys like Frank Clark. That's not a difficult question, John. <laughs> Try to be nice, man. Remember, it's early. It's early. We're not overreacting to anything, especially not guys who been, didn't hardly play at all and then are consistently hurt or have severe stomach issues that cause weight loss or anything like that. It's fine. Or significant that stomach issues that cause you not be able to tackle a quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> or carry okay. Uzis in their Lamborghini SUV, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, those those other things. Yeah, lots of questions. The the Uzi helps his stomach problems. <laughs> That's the case. Keep the damn Uzi. <laughs> just stay healthy. Now, we didn't just mention basically everybody on the defensive line. I think the only guy who didn't get a shout out is Damone Harris. And that's just because I didn't watch that late into the game, but I'm sure he looked great. Was there anybody out of these, these second or third year guys that maybe we were impressed with last year that you thought out of all of them, he took the biggest step forward with me. I'm talking like, you know, Mike Dana, Tershawn Wharton, um, Colin Saunders, Tim Ward, et cetera. Was there any one of those guys that, you looked at and went, wow, he's done some real work this offseason. Um, Sam, I'll come to you here first. Again, I don't like making this judgment just off of one preseason game where we don't even know. I, I could not name the, the offensive lineman on the 49ers if I tried. Um, I'd still be like, I can't even think of the left tackle. That was really good. They played there forever. No, I'm terrible. Bad offensive line on my part. I think Tershawn Wharton definitely took – a big step forward is, but I don't know if it's him or if it's the fact that he's now playing next to two elite defensive linemen instead of just one as far as Chris Jones and now Jaron Reed. So that one's hard to say because, I mean, when you have – it's pretty easy to look really good when half of the offensive line focuses on two players and you have to deal with one, and that's all you have to do. Sometimes you don't deal with any. Sometimes they're just like, we're just going to leave you and hope you don't do anything. Sam, I think you I think you meant to say the man's name you're trying to find as an example's name is Eric Hicks. 
<laughs> sure. Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, that one. Let's go with that. Joe Staley is the one I'm thinking of. There we go. Sorry. Ah, I should have said it. That's why I thought you were going, but I couldn't think of it. Think oh, of yeah, not, not, not the offensive lineman, but the guy getting to play next to somebody else Uh-oh. and getting all of the attention and then succeeding. Getting to play yeah. next to Chester McLaughlin and have oh, yeah. a massive man take up two and three offensive linemen so he could be out on the island on his own. Yeah. It's essentially the same as, you know, when defensive backs get paid a lot because they're on really terrible teams and they just don't have to throw at them. Yeah, that's that's what happens. I'm the awesome one. Yeah, I'll be awesome one. That's a good one. Jay, what about you? Who out of the, out of the guys that maybe last year kind of surprised us all? Was there any one of them that took the biggest step forward to you? Well, I couldn't use Treshawn Ward because to me he was already mini Aaron Donald. So I've, I've been high on the guys since I saw him last year. But it's got to be Mike Dana again. I, you know. Just if I was putting numbers on him, I don't even know how many sacks he had last year. But the guy we saw last year, I'd be like, maybe three or four sacks, kind of an Alex Okafor type performance of guy. Now I'm like, I could see this guy getting, you know, close to eight or nine sacks. Like you said, Sean, he he just seemed to have a different burst as well, which was not something we remember last year. Yeah, like just to be different, I'll say Colin Saunders, but Mike Dana did have just another gear like and again it's not like it's not even a Churchon Wharton gear or a, or a Christian obviously not a Chris Jones gear or anything like that it's just like for him it would it jumped off the screen of oh that's new um Colin Saunders is another one that that jumped off that way to me just because of how quick he looked uh for a guy his size which was kind of the allure of him coming out of college when they drafted him as you look at this guy he's 6'2 6'3 325 pounds can do backflips, just play running back. They even lined him up at linebacker last year, knowing that his athleticism could take over. Like he's he's an athletic freak when he's healthy. And I think the injury really set him back. Um, he talked about how he put on weight uh, just because he couldn't he couldn't work out the way he's used to. This year he looks fit, he looks explosive, he looks like he's got that athleticism back. And if he can put it all together. And he is in your rotation with guys like Wharton behind two studs in Jaron Reed and, and Chris Jones. Doesn't really get, I mean, it's, it's not the same caliber, but it's not like you're getting a break if you're an offensive lineman. Like you're still having to deal with two really athletic guys in the middle with Wharton and, and Colin Saunders. There's no break where like, oh, I can sag off on this guy a little bit. They will blow by you if you do that with either one of those guys. So to see Colin Saunders look like he's healthy and fit, gosh, I, I, I really hope I'm, – I'm really hoping they keep 10 defensive linemen just so they can keep a guy like Colin Saunders. Just think the upside is still there when he's healthy. All right, and lastly here for tonight, we thought we'd do, again, something fun and, and do some things that uh, – are a little different. And this is, we'll see how this goes. Maybe we'll do some fantasy stuff as the season goes on, but this is our fantasy football chiefs specific do's and don'ts. So what you should do, if you're looking for a fan, if you're on fantasy football team, when it comes to the chiefs players, you're looking to pick trade for or trade away things you don't do. Uh, Jacob, I'm going to come to you here first. You were the kind of the one that spearheaded this topic for us. I thought it would be a lot of fun. What are your fantasy football Chiefs do's and don'ts? 
you know what? I'll just let's go with let's go with don'ts first. First off, if you're drafting individual players on defense, I'm gonna start with you there. You need to graduate from middle school. Nobody does that. Sean, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you and the time. I you- have no, no defensive players. We haven't done that since the Yahoo days. I think my last time I did that was a freshman in high school. We have moved <laughs> to the ESPN leagues and we have team defenses now. <laughs> Back when you realized everybody wanted Ray Lewis and any linebacker since tackles were the stat you needed. Right. <laughs> or you try to find a kick returner. <laughs> so I guess almost, I think it might be a better format to ask us, is it a do or a don't for you? So let's start here. Is the Chiefs defense slash special teams a do or a don't for you? Oh, man. Trying not to overreact, but after what I saw with Jaron Reed and what that might mean for Chris Jones, I'd say do. Especially with, like, Mike Hughes and Byron Pringle now as your return guys, and if that's your special teams unit, oh, that might be a do for me. I'm going to say – I'm actually going to go don't, not because I don't think the defense will not perform well, because teams are going to have to try to keep up with our offense. And there's a chance that they're going to put up a lot of points, even if our defense is playing well, just because that's how they have to play the Chiefs sometimes. So I'm going to go with don't, but if I could choose the middle ground, I would. I'm right there with you. The Chiefs throw the ball too much. Their defense is on the field so much that I – I try to stick away from those teams. I like teams like the Broncos where you know that they're going to try to drag the game out and run the ball as much as possible. And they have, you know, pretty good personnel on that side. Okay. Next one I'm thinking of, and we'll just go back over to the offense. Cause I guess that makes sense. I won't get into, you know, Butker do or don't. Cause I think kickers are a pretty much non-factor as long as you don't have somebody that's terrible, but it would be worth probably staying away from Butker because of his extra points. But anyway, oh, you guys don't get to have an opinion on that. We'll go to the offense. Patrick Mahomes, is he a do or a don't for you? And I know that this is going to be a situational one. So let's change it almost a little bit because I think anybody's like, if he's in the seventh round, I'll take him. So we'll ask, what round would it be okay to take Patrick Mahomes in? Okay, so if you're in a dynasty league, he's your first overall pick. Because he's young, he's he's a stud, like quarterbacks mean more in, in a dynasty league. I'm doing my first dynasty league this year. Let me tell you, that's a monster. Don't do it if you don't have to. But <laughs> the first draft is is we did two and a half, we did two full days of drafting. It's a it's a rough go. But if you're in a if you're in a dynasty league, get youth and and especially in a flex league where you get two quarterbacks go get you a Patrick Mahomes in the first round. If you have the first overall pick, even if you're an ESPN and you're, I would still be even okay with that in the first round, because if you're at the bottom, like if you're the 10th pick double up to running back quarterback, I, I'd be fine with Patrick Mahomes as a first round pick, especially if he's a late first round pick. Yeah. Sean just told my answer. If you're back into the first, that's more than acceptable. Pretty sure I did it last year. So <laughs> it works. Okay. And so, but, just so uh, people know, Sam did really well in fantasy last year. So maybe there's a correlation. For me, he's a middle of the second. He's still a quarterback. Let's put. I did it really well until this like last quarter of the season when it actually matters, and then my team fell apart. So, <laughs> okay, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Where does he go now? You know, we had his rookie year hysteria of people trying to get him early on. 
But then, you know, those, that excitement got tempered when fans found out that the Chiefs weren't going to throw him the ball. Where do you draft him? I, gosh, Sam, go ahead, because I've got strong feelings about this, and I don't um, want to go on a rant. It's so hard because running backs go off the board, go off the board so quick. I, I think he's a late second, maybe early third, because we know the Chiefs like to run. I mean, this is my thought process if I was going to draft him. Because the Chiefs run so many running backs in and out, he's not a he's not a, a workhorse as a Derrick Henry is. So I, I think I think if you can get him even mid to late second, that's a pretty good pick. And if you get him in the third, you're you're pretty happy at that point. Second round, I'm jumping all over Clyde. Like depending on how many running backs have gone before, like I might even be willing to reach in the first if I'm at the back end because like people, yes, was he. Was he the secret weapon to take a phrase from Carl Peterson that everybody thought he was? Maybe not, but he still had a thousand yards from scrimmage for a rookie and a rookie who missed a little time, like missed three games. Like he had a thousand yards from scrimmage with 800 rushing yards. It's not like he was just some putts out here. Um, And I think with this, this more physical, offensive line especially if they gel and they continue to improve together as a unit man like i think if you get clyde in the second round this year that might end up looking like the steal in the draft exactly if, if he's there in the second round take him because i was gonna say i'd take him even the bottom of the first round okay i'm going to only bring up the only two more players that i think are worth any fantasy consideration so the next one is tyree kill and i'm actually going to answer first I get him, I feel like, almost every year, and he always lets me down because he never comes through in the weeks I need him. And I feel like I probably benched him against the Buccaneers last year when he absolutely destroyed things. I don't know. But that's how how it feels like whenever I take Tyreek Hills, I start him at the wrong weeks. He's a very boomer bust guy. So for me, I almost try not to take him. So he would be considered an A fantasy don't for me. I – don't even know what to say to that. He had 15 touchdowns last year, 1,200 receiving yards, almost 1,300, not including like the rushing yards. Uh, which again, it's not a lot, but a couple of rushing touchdowns, like 17, Sean, 17 I didn't, touchdowns. I didn't say that I wouldn't still, I will still end up drafting him when he's there for me. I'm just saying I don't know how to use him the right way. He's Dexter prediction for my fancy team. You Full start. Jacob takes Tyree Kill in the third round this year. Oh, my. <laughs> Oh, if, if Tyreek makes it to the third, I'm going to scream. Like, that would be ridiculous. Like, I, I think uh, – I have strong – Well, yeah. he won't make it to the third because of Jacob's wife, and she tries to draft every Chiefs player she can. Which, so. these days, is a really good strategy. Yeah, not a terrible strategy. Right no. up until the bye week, it's a great strategy these days. <laughs> unlike, unlike your brother, Sean, when he tried to draft uh, Tony, Tony first pick. First overall pick to Tony G. Shout out to you, Tony G. Okay, Travis Kelsey, where do you take him at? Oh, I I overvalue tight ends because I think there's so few of them that are worth anything. I actually like we had a, in our dynasty league we have a rookie draft that follows the actual draft, and I took Kyle Pitts with the first overall pick because I just think elite tight ends are so hard to find. That's actually one of my don'ts is if you get an elite tight end, just don't trade them. Don't because the return is never worth it. That happened to me when I had Kittle and Kelsey. I traded away Kelsey because I thought I could get a better return, and it, it just didn't work out. It wasn't worth it. So I would, if I can get Kelsey in the third, I would 
cry. Uh, he he will not be there in the third, and if he yeah, is in a league that you're in, that is insane. I, I'm really I surprised. Him, because, I would take him in the set, like the high yeah. second, if I could. But I just never get that opportunity. It seems like. Yeah, he's, I've I've taken him in the bottom of the first round before. Yeah, I was gonna say he's the kind of player that because of his production, even though he's a tight end, you take him in the first, second round just because he is that productive and puts that many points on the board. You let every other tight end go to the seventh round and you're good. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah. I think, well, that's yeah. the thing. He's worth like 10 points more than the next guy versus the running backs and receivers. You know, it's like, oh, crap, I missed the guy. So now I'm – you know, at like a two-point disadvantage versus the next guy I can get. Because like you said, Sean, there's only like three tight ends that are worth any taking in anywhere early on in the draft. So, Agreed. I'm, I'm with you on that. Okay. The last one I, you know, was good saying, not saying I wasn't going to bring up, but I'm going to bring up just to annoy you guys. Do you take McCole Hardman? Yes. If I can get Where? McCole Hardman in the fourth, yeah. In the fourth? I – that seems early to me. No, you have to – again, this comes back to my point about McCall Harbin. I do not not think he's going to have a good year this year. He will probably be a 1,000-yard receiver, six to eight touchdowns. That's not my point about him. He's still going to put up points for fantasy. Yeah, That's, I mean, yeah, your a fantasy I, perspective is different than a I personnel and cheering perspective. I in fantasy if they can score me points. I hate <laughs> no player in the NFL if they can score me points in fantasy. It's just in reality, I hate them. I was gonna say I would absolutely draft Michael Harmon, especially this year. Like, if all the talk about his route running being improved is is there, and granted, we didn't get to see a whole lot of him in the preseason game, so we'll, hopefully they'll play more and get to actually see him go. But you, you know, what we did see Sean. Did see a drop. A ball yeah. hit him straight in the hands. Not even a drop. That thing hit him square in the hands, and he couldn't catch it. The McCall Hardman apologist will let you know that the defensive back behind him was holding on to his arm. But the more discouraging thing to me was that he wasn't looking back to catch the ball. So that was, I think, more than half of the reason it did end up getting dropped. But anyway, yeah, he's he's like an eighth or a ninth round type guy for me. I don't think oh. I'm with you guys that he will probably be there. If you are listening to this podcast, your friends are Chiefs fans. And he will get overdrafted in the like fourth or fifth round. So yeah. I was gonna split the difference between you and say if I can get him in like the fifth or the sixth, I would I would jump on it. Just because I think the upside is there. And if the route running's improved and God, I mean, if he's I mean, if he's a thousand yard receiver this year, I'm 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 gonna push for an apology video from us. Cause like that's that to <laughs> me is like you you've now crossed into a different mold of receiver. Like he hasn't even he hasn't even touch come close to a thousand yards yet so if he if if this year he has a thousand yards and eight touchdowns especially with travis kelsey and tyree hill opposite him you're getting enough targets to do that like that's i would yeah no that i would absolutely draft mccall Harmon because i think spite is a great motivator so again it's a matter of when but oh gosh yeah like fifth or sixth i'm running to the podium the virtual podium with him and I do have I do have one other question regarding our fantasy stuff, Jacob. All of these are skewed in my view because I have to play in a league where half of it auto drafts. So if any of the people that are in our league and auto draft listen, either play or or just don't join this year, please, because I'm tired of 15 team fantasy that just auto drafts. 
I think we took out two last year, and I already told two other people they were up for review of being removed. So know that auto drafting is not okay. Auto drafting is not okay. But also, if you're gonna if you're gonna hold a draft, maybe let everybody know when it is, so that everyone in the league can draft. Because some of us weren't notified in one of our leagues, and all of a sudden we had a football team, which I did get Travis Kelsey on. So I'm not that upset. And if all else fails, just remember to text Sean your picks when you're going to football camp one day, and you'll get all of them. All right, everybody. That's going to do it for us tonight. We appreciate you joining us. As always, it's going to be a ball. But we'll do more stuff like this because this is fun. I enjoy the fantasy talk. So hit us up on Twitter or on our Facebook group. Let us know after you listen to this. Do you like the fantasy? Uh, How much more do you want it? Are there any other topics you want us to cover? Until next time, y'all stay safe out there. and We will talk to you next week. Bye.